0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we know about the ongoing investigation into Chinese interference in Canadian elections. Now there's concern about how the government is receiving that information and what, if anything, they're doing with it. Bill Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, will join us and talk about that. And speaking of China, TikTok is now banned on all Canadian government devices. How is this ban going to affect politicians' ability to reach out to young voters? And we talked with Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News on the Ford government's accusing of the NDP of sending a photographer to the Premier's daughter's wedding. Yeah, really. It's all coming up for the Bill Kelly Podcast and it starts now. <laughs> Today on the Bill Kelly Show on nine hundred chml. There was a report done by CSIS just a little while ago that uh, that said that look, they've been tracking this for the longest time. They've been advising the government that this is a problem and something needs to be done about it. But uh, there seems to be some concern about how the government is receiving that information and. Uh, whether or not they're acting on it. Uh, Phil Gursky, the president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, a distinguished fellow with the University of Ottawa's National Security Program, and, of course, a former CSIS analyst will join us. He wrote a blog about this, about the Prime Minister's uh, reaction uh, to some of the reports from CSIS. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you back on the show today. Good morning, Bill. How are you today, sir? Good. I'm a, I'm a little puzzled by some of the reactions, to, and I, I read with great interest how you what you wrote about this, uh, about, you know, We we want security. We want uh, people like Csis and others uh, to gather information for us. Some of it's going to be confidential. We know that. We don't expect to see all the full documentation on this stuff. But uh, we see it through the lens of of the politicians who tell us what's in that report or choose not to tell us what's in that report. Uh, And when the prime minister said that uh, the the Csis report had, uh, I think what he called several inaccuracies in it. it raises more questions than it answers in a situation like that. Like, what kind of inaccuracies is he talking about? And is something like this a slap in the face to the security agencies?
1: You know, Bill, to say that Canadians are puzzled over the Prime Minister's statements over the past week and a half since the alleged CSIS leak. And and just, you know, for your listeners, we don't know that CSIS itself leaked the report, right? As I've been reminding people once you put intelligence in officials' hands, you kind of lose control over it. You you know, they're told not to obviously share it publicly. They're told to keep it under wraps for reasons of source protection or method protection. So it wasn't necessarily a thesis officer. So we don't know who leaked it. But yeah, I I think it's... What what bothers me is, is how the government seems to be twisting itself continuously to try and either say, you know, there's nothing to see here or what you know the intelligence we're receiving is not good enough for us to use and, and and you know when he says there's inaccuracies in the report uh my first question would be well, well sir you know can, can you point out what the inaccuracies are and 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 how you know that they're inaccurate do you have your own independent sources that <clears throat> excuse me contradicts his information so the problem is is that there's every day there are more questions being i think raised in this regard and uh, no obvious solution. You mentioned about TikTok, and that's probably a good thing. Maybe we'll see really, uh, you know, fewer bad dance videos as a consequence amongst government officials. But uh, this government is is just—it's tying itself in knots about how to deal with this issue. Well, I guess the thing that concerns me
0: uh, is that the government has continually tried to downplay any inference in, and any interference by the Chinese Communist Party uh, in Canadian politics. Uh, you know, the, the, this started a couple of weeks ago, of course, with the assertion that that they tried to influence at least two, uh, two ridings, actually, out in British Columbia uh, and, and targeted a couple of candidates there that they didn't think were worthy because they had both been critical of the Chinese regime. Uh, that kind of Went nowhere because it was really about two conservative MPs, but now they're claiming uh, a liberal MP uh, in the the GTA here uh, may have actually been assisted by uh, some agents of the Chinese government. A pretty serious accusation uh, when you look at it, Phil. And uh, you know, all all we can rely on here is the media reports and the stuff that the government is is releasing to us right now. And it, it's uh, there's not a whole lot of detail to anything that's going on here. Uh, and it seems to again be of that same theme that look at this is no big deal. I don't know what you guys are all getting excited about yet. Then <laughs> yesterday we get the word that okay, they're, they're going to ban TikTok from all uh, government yeah. uh, devices
1: right now, which tells me maybe maybe we should be getting serious about this. <laughs> Well, it, with respect to the MP, um, I think there's some misunderstanding here. And I believe that the prime minister said that it's not CSIS's role to tell the government, uh, you know, what MPs can run and things like that. He's missing the point. So CSIS, you know, obviously where I worked for a long time, it has a mandate. And that mandate is contained within the CSIS Act passed way back in 1984 when it was created out of the old RCMP Security Service. CSIS can investigate any threat to national security as defined by its legislation in section 2 and this particular threat is contained in section 2b what we call foreign interference against Canada's interests where CSIS has reasonable grounds to suspect that threat exists uh, CSIS has incredible powers to do that and the point is is that uh, no one is above the law and so CSIS can investigate anybody anywhere anytime who pose a threat under that particular set of clauses within the CSIS Act. If CSIS is saying that its investigations have turned up information which suggests that this particular member of parliament either did was influenced or is somehow working in cahoots with the Chinese or there's information there that suggests that there's there's more there to see than than it's on the surface, that's what we want CSIS to do. Now, CSIS doesn't tell the government what to do. It says, look it. Here's what our investigations show. Uh, we've we've vetted it. We've determined it's accurate. Um, the prime minister's accusations of inaccuracies notwithstanding, the ball's now in your court. You can use the intelligence. You can ignore it. You can line a birdcage with it. it, it that's not our mandate. Um, but if CSIS has gone to this extent to provide the information, Bill. Uh, it's serious, and, and it doesn't do so lightly. As I said, the information is carefully looked at, it's confirmed, we looked at the nature of the sources, and it's the best advice we can give at the time. And that's what worries me, is that there seems to be, as you said in the introduction, some attempt to say that CSIS doesn't know what it's doing, or its information isn't useful. And I don't think Canadians uh, benefit from that kind of statement from the Prime Minister.
0: But didn't we see variations on this theme, though, Uh, even during the uh, Emergencies Act uh, inquiry that went on? And we started to get uh, a lot of testimony from security agencies, among others, and police forces, et cetera. And there seemed to be a disconnect between, yeah, this agency did this report and handed it to that, that, that police service. No, they didn't. Well, how are we supposed to know? Uh, because we don't get to see that stuff, uh, and it's it's it, it, I think it just adds to the frustration uh, that that people are feeling right now. Like like where's the truth here? What's what's really happening, and and what's the government going to do about situations like this? And you know, if like you say, if you don't trust and you don't trust the RCMP. Well, let's have that discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just or, or are you embarrassed by what they're saying and figure, OK, deny, deny, deny. I mean, governments have been known to do that uh, of every political stripe in just about every country from time to time. And and I, we don't know the answer to that at this stage.
1: Right. So so let me maybe walk your listeners through how it works, Bill, is that, you know, when CESIS produces intelligence, its, it's, it's point, as I said, is to advise, you know, government uh, it does provide the intelligence to, gov- to uh, government ministers, senior officials who have what we call a need to know, and, there, and it's a principle whereby you don't just share it willy nilly with you know the entirety of the public service. There have to be people who have a vested interest, who are working on these files, have responsibility for making decisions thereon. They're the ones who get the intelligence. So it's a very it's a carefully vetted system. What you do is you. Rely or you trust in the fact that that once your intelligence has been given to these officials, that they're going to treat it carefully, that they're going to brief it up the line. So I I don't know that Cease briefs the prime minister himself in person. I don't I don't think they do. But again, I've been out of the business for more than eight years now but we do brief senior officials with it with the expectation that if they feel the prime minister needs to know this or anybody else in the cabinet that that mechanism will will fall in place and the intelligence will be passed on what worries me here is that you know the prime minister says he was never briefed which could mean many things uh, one of which is that officials didn't deem this worthy which would really surprise me uh, further to your point bill on the emergencies act and on the you know the you know what show in Ottawa last year the other problem is is one of security clearances and unfortunately here in Canada um, you know if CSIS has really good intelligence on what's happening with the convoy and the possibility of violence and some of the actors therein. in it's hard to share with law enforcement for two reasons one is that not law, not all law enforcement officers have the requisite security clearance and secondly our biggest fear at CSIS is that if you give something to a cop and he's got his little black book on him and he writes it down um, that becomes disclosable in court as possible evidence. And CSIS doesn't want its information to appear in court because it's not evidence, it's intelligence. It's not gathered to an evidentiary standard. So we need to do a lot better in terms of how we use intelligence, how we distribute intelligence, at the, you know, while protecting sources and methods, making sure that the people that need to know uh, have the information so they can make better decisions. Well, exactly.
0: And and as you mentioned in the, in the blog piece here, I mean, <laughs> CSIS is not in the habit for security reasons, but also for safety reasons of disclosing sources, uh, sure. because some of those people are speaking, some of them could be risking their lives or their careers uh, passing on this information. And and I think we all know that there can be consequences to that. So that's that's there. Uh, but as to the briefing and as to the prime minister saying he, he did not have any knowledge of this, or wasn't briefed on this. Uh, and again, we're in the dark on this, Phil, because we don't know uh, the protocol here. I mean, we know, for instance, simply because we are inundated with American politics, we know that every day the president of the United States gets a daily briefing uh, of what he should be aware of mm-hmm. and said or she should be aware of. But that's staff that do that. I don't think the CIA or the FBI or whoever else is they are actually in the Oval Office, but they have briefing notes. Does, is, is this how it's done in Ottawa? I don't know. I, I doubt very much that a CSIS rep calls the prime minister every day and say, OK, here's what's going on. Uh, but somebody has to vet that, probably somebody in the prime minister's staff. Maybe they did think it was inconsequential. Maybe they're the ones that told the prime minister that there were inaccuracies. We we just mm-hmm. don't know. And, and in the absence of information comes speculation.
1: Imagine the following scenario, Bill. Uh, instead of Chinese interference, we're talking about a terrorist plot against the prime minister or against the cabinet. Can you imagine that if CSIS had solid information that groups X, Y, or Z were planning to bomb Parliament Hill or the Prime Minister's office or whatever in downtown Ottawa, and an official decided, eh, we're not going to pass it on to the Prime Minister? Well, of course they would pass it on. And so the question then, you can raise the question, yeah, maybe this isn't a terrorist attack, but this is a serious violation of Canadian sovereignty. This is a foreign power, uh, China, with whom we are not allies, they're, you know, they're not part of NATO. They're not part of the Five Eyes. They're they are a communist dictatorial government. And they're interfering in our free and fair democratic elections. It, it, it really, it puzzles me why, if in fact, as we're speculating, and you're right, we're, we're just speculating here, Bill. You don't know. I don't know. It's just all speculation. Mm-hmm. But if somebody in the PMO or the Privy Council office or whomever, national security advisor, senior official, didn't think this was worth passing on, It's a fair question to ask, what do they think is worth passing on? I mean, this is really a serious accusation against the Chinese government. And so... Maybe we do need to get to a point where uh, CSIS you know, calls up the Prime Minister. Do you remember the old hotline during the Cold War bill where yeah. you, know, you answer the red phone and that's when the missiles are going to be launched? Speaking of the Americans, I do know I had a, a good friend who used to actually work for, for an American organization, uh, and they do actually brief the, the president on a on a daily basis. And so they have a different system than we do. Maybe it's time for us to emulate the Americans here and ensure that the intelligence that CSIS and the RCMP have uh, is in fact uh, given to the prime minister directly so you're not, you don't have to go through a go-between who can decide Eh, that's not very important I'm not going to b- bother the prime minister today
0: are we up to speed and by that i mean we as a as law enforcement and security officials and intelligence gathering officials uh about the way that the the Wars are being waged these days. I don't mean on the battlefield. I mean in cyberspace. Uh, that, that's that's the, the you know that's the battle of the 21st century right now. Do we have the tools to be able to to understand that and to, and to discern what's going on and, and how it can impact us?
1: Hard to say. Uh I, I think we're doing the best we can with the resources we have. So as you're aware, Bill, I, I used to work for CSC, so the signals intelligence organization before I joined CSIS. And they, of course, have the cyber command that was struck up a couple of years ago. Very talented, very dedicated Canadians doing this. My concern is that I don't know if it's if it's resourced to the point where we can, it, t- you know, ensure Canadians that, you know, we're aware of everything. The problem is you're never aware of everything. You simply there's an infinite number of things you worry about and a finite number of resources. And Canadian governments of whatever stripe have not really tended to staff intelligence and law enforcement to the, to the level required to mitigate these types of threats. So I can ensure your listeners that the people who are there are doing their best um, in terms of their tools, their resources um, to try to to look at these threats and advise the government. But it, yeah, it's impossible for me to say that there's enough. My guess is the answer is no. And there never will be enough, given the, the the multifarious actors looking at the Chinese, the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians. I mean, this goes on and on and on. And we're just talking cyber here. Bro. We're not talking about yeah. terrorism, which is an entirely different conversation. So, yeah, it, you never have enough. But uh, I, I think they, they are doing whatever they possibly can um, with the time and resources that they have. Well,
0: and and again, it's it's trying to follow the trail here, isn't it? I know we're just about out of time, but I mean, it's not like somebody walks up and says, "Hi, I'm uh, I represent the Chinese Communist Party," and, and you know, I've got a check here for you, or or you know, here's some misinformation for you. I mean, they do it through you know shell companies, and uh, you know, trying to track campaign donations can be a very tedious job, and if you don't have the staff for it. Uh, we're we're just going to miss out on this. And and I think this is a, probably another wake-up call. Listen, maybe we're not doing as much as we could. Maybe we're not providing the resources as much as we should for our security officers.
1: It's a wake-up call, Bill, but it's also um, one yet indication that the intelligence that CSIS and CSE have uh, has not always been listened to. It hasn't been treated. And, and, and you know, I've talked about this in the past. It's, mm-hmm. it's the immature intelligence culture we have here in Canada. Uh, you know, y- the agency can only do so much. Um, you're just the messenger and and you you provide the information. And if it's not adhered to, there's nothing more you can do. You can't hold a gun to the government's head and say you're going to act on this information. So yeah, um, it's dis- it's discouraging as someone who spent 32 years in the business to hear these types of things being said. Let's hope that, um, I guess, hope spring's eternal, Bill. It's almost spring. You know, March is coming in, and hopefully winter will finally end. Um, Maybe the government will finally take it seriously. I'm I'm skeptical based on past experiences, but I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So um, maybe they're going to finally listen to what's happening. On
0: that positive note, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we'll wrap up this part of the conversation. Anyway, Phil, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. My pleasure, Bill. Have a nice day. You too. Phil Gursky, former CSIS analyst, of course, and president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. TikTok ban, essentially, for government employees and, of course, government MPs, effective today. I mean, they made this announcement yesterday and bingo, it's shut down as of today. And other governments, apparently, even in the Ontario government, uh, may be considering a similar action uh how is this going to impact uh, especially members of parliament because a number of them of course use tiktok very extensively uh, to try to reach out to people to talk about the implications of this and and the, the very program itself uh pleased to welcome back to the program muhammad ali who is a senior consultant for crestview strategies muhammad thanks as always great to have you on the show today thanks for having me bill how, were you surprised by the announcement
2: uh, not particularly, because there is this growing shift, uh, obviously, amongst a lot of Western countries, allied countries within NATO and others, uh, but particularly in, in Canada, where they have shifted a lot of sort of core policies around a number of areas, specifically related to data protection, privacy, and uh, you know, technological innovations and such, to protect, against sort of state actors that are, are bad actors, such as China. So... Uh, considering the number of announcements over the last few months related to China, where uh, the government, the federal government, has specifically told certain sectors that you need to be mindful, or we won't, we won't fund this, we won't support this, if you are in uh, receiving funding or services or or, or are tied to uh, the Chinese government in any way, uh, this is not a surprise, given that TikTok has been under the under the radar. Sorry, not on the radar, but on the radar for the last uh, year or so, particularly by the Americans and and also the Canadians.
0: And and I guess this is a revelation for an awful lot of us. So as you say, we just kind of figure, okay, there's another app and it's one that a lot of people seem to use. And we see cute little pictures of of kitty cats doing dancing and stuff like that. But the the serious element to this is, uh, as we're told, of course, this is a Chinese based company that uh that it's much easier to harvest information off TikTok than many of the other apps that we're using these days which I'm sure is a revelation to an awful lot of us who knew that
2: yeah and you know what uh, consumers are a lot more sophisticated now b- given all the uh you know the headlines around the social media companies and search engines that all collect and sell our you know people's uh, data privacy data uh search histories and everything else to whomever uh you know, the, the concept of, uh, of of a Chinese-based company that is uh, easily required by Chinese law to share any relevant data that they have stored in their servers to then be given to the Chinese government to do whatever they want with it is a cause for concern. And I think that this is why governments like the federal government in Canada are moving to protect at least the federal employees and those who work with, in uh, the federal government, are are not allowed to use that because it could, you know, they could tap on the phone, steal pertinent data, you know, for whatever things that uh, a government employee may be searching related to their job.
0: Uh, and, and therein lies the security risk that they they want to try to incorporate. And, and I think we're all aware. As, as I think you and I have talked about in the past, uh, we, we all know that they they harvest information. Facebook does it, Twitter does it, uh, Instagram, you name it, they, they're all doing it. Uh, but more often than not, it's for advertising purposes. Yes, they do take our information. Yes, they do uh, sell it to advertisers, and, and you know they they try to obviously capitalize on that. But we don't know uh, where TikTok sends their information. Uh, I'm sure part of it goes to advertising. Of course, it does. But every government and every agency in China apparently has an agreement. <laughs> I don't know if they sign it willingly or not. Uh, that if asked, they have to supply any information the Chinese government asks for from them. So you don't know where that's going to go and what they're going to do with it. And that's that's kind of a scary proposition.
2: Yeah, and and look, the the we are obviously talking a lot about or is being reported on about you know, potential or actual Chinese interference in our electoral processes. Uh, and so what does what this data and access to information does for uh, for Canadians is very important to be mindful of. And I think the federal government uh, did the right thing in terms of taking this as a first step. Uh, and the framing of the prime minister, I think, was good too, saying that, look, this could be the only step, but this could be the first step of many towards protecting Canadians from uh, interference because we again we get to your point as well we don't know what they're going to do with information and and data today is what oil was to the economy 20 30 40 50 60 years ago and when it was first sort of becoming a key part of the economy so data protection is very very important and how that data is used is even more important uh, and, and it's good that the federal government and other provinces are now also considering similar uh, restrictions for for government employees.
0: We were surprised at, at the compliance on this when the government made this announcement that it was going to go into effect basically in 24 hours, which is now. Uh, but even you know, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, Pierre Poilievre, both of whom, by the way, have used TikTok extensively uh, to send messaging out to to their followers and their supporters, uh, basically said, "Yeah, we we've got to dump this right now." They they seemed right off the bat to understand the severity here.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, also they, if they were on the opposite side, that would look very bad on them. So they had no choice but to uh, come into uh, compliance with what the federal government had proposed. Now the rule as, as, as understood is that it's on government devices. Yeah. All of these folks all have personal devices, so they still could use TikTok for on their personal phones, a way that they are not supposed to be doing government work on, but uh, it is their personal side of things. So they could be using on that. Um, or, you know, someone else could be filming it that uh, helps them sort of craft, you know, unique videos and such. So, there are obviously going to be rules around. I doubt that all these politicians would just hop off of TikTok. It would just be that they should not be using their government-issued devices for this. It should be either on the personal or they shouldn't at all. But this is not the only way that one connects with uh, young people. There's a number of social media avenues. So, um, But given that a number of Western democracies like Canada the United States, the UK as well, all looking at how do we... Uh, protect their their citizens from sort of Chinese influences and, and their data being misused. Uh, you know, we look about also on Huawei, was another previous mm-hmm. issue as well. Uh, all of this will coalesce that will likely, you know, bring new opportunity for a country not based in China to sort of fill the void and become the new trend, right? You know, social media companies are just trend-oriented to the next generation to the next generation what is the way that they want to connect on. So, uh, TikTok could be, uh, seeing his days numbered or it could be, you know, there could be a new sort of TikTok 2.0 coming out for, for all we know.
0: How far are they going to go here? You heard the Prime Minister's comment uh, that this is the first step. Uh, is, are we heading towards a total ban here? Do you think this is going to be enough? Uh, is, you know, what do you see on the horizon here? It's, it's very difficult, I, I understand. We're kind of you know, just blue skying here as to, as to what might happen. But since everybody else, India, the United States, so many other countries, Australia, I think too, have all adopted similar policies like that. It, it seems as if there's a wave about to happen here.
2: I, I would watch closely of seeing how the Americans sort of handle this. If the American outright ban TikTok from the country so that no one can use it, whether on government devices or on their personal devices, uh, that will send the signal for other countries to adopt similar approaches. Uh, if, if it's just sort of Canada going on its own, Canada was not the first to go and ban a number of sort of companies. It would it first required to see if the Chinese, sorry, if the Americans or the Brits or others were first uh, banning specific technologies or companies. That then that would sort of give them the cover to move ahead with it. So I would I would first watch to see how the Americans tackle this. If they move it forward, then expect the Canadians to also uh, follow suit or follow largely in suit of what the Americans are doing.
0: Uh, interesting story and, and a very very fluid story right now. So we'll follow the development on this. Mohammed, as always, thank you so much for the uh, time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care, Mohammed Ali, who is a senior consultant for uh, Crestview Strategies, uh, who's in constant contact, of course, with uh, the political parties up in Ottawa about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what the implications are going to be. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It was an interesting day at Queen's Park. The last couple of days, actually, have been pretty fascinating. Uh, Earlier in the week, uh, uh, we had uh, word from the Ontario Health Coalition, Natalie Mira and uh, and her organization, uh, who uh, were at Queen's Park. And basically, uh, they were waving red flags about uh, the the Ford government's uh, policies uh, with the the new money coming with the health care deal, of course, from the federal government suggesting that, that upselling and extra charges are not just something that might happen, that it is happening already. I will talk about that in a second, but also the ongoing debate about uh, Doug Ford's government's uh, involvement with the Greenbelt and the developers who may benefit from uh, the flip-flop on that policy. uh, And a rather unusual accusation, and and I'm assuming unexpected accusation, uh, from the Ontario government. House Leader Paul Calandra accused NDP leader Marit Stiles of sending a photographer to to the wedding of Doug Ford's daughter uh, to try to get pictures about just who was there. How clandestine is that? Colin DeMello joins us. Colin, of course, is the Queens Park bureau chief for Global News. And uh, Colin, as always, thanks so much for the time. Uh, this cloak and dagger about the the wedding and the and the photographer, uh, kind of a, a strange accusation. Of course, uh, Mark Stiles has denied that. Uh, but it, it just it, it's just you just expect the unexpected these days, I guess, from from this debate, don't you?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it really goes to show uh, where we're at with this whole stag and dough wedding party and the premier's relationship with developers, because, uh, you know, there's an indication here that the government is really feeling a bit exposed on this. And whenever they are, they tend to lash out, right, point out something with the NDP or point out something with the liberals just to kind of take the heat a little bit off of them. Sometimes in the past, they've been a bit successful. This time, though, this one definitely was a bit of a head scratcher. So I'll, I'll take you through what happened. Yeah. Last week, um, the NDP had filed a complaint with the Ontario legislature asking for an official investigation from the integrity commissioner into Premier Doug Ford, specifically dealing with that stag and Doe party, his relationship with developers, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. As part of their filing to the integrity commissioner, they included a, a photograph uh, of the seating chart that looked like it came from the wedding of the premier's daughter. So, you know, typically when you went to a wedding, there's this big seating chart telling you which table number you're at. That's what you refer referred to first before you go into the actual wedding and find your seat. So they had this photograph as part of their affidavit and submission to the integrity commissioner. That's what the progressive conservatives say came from a photographer that the NDP had sent to the wedding. Now, this is verifiably untrue. And and we know this because the wedding photographer actually uploaded a bunch of photographs from the wedding to her personal website. There are pictures of the premier lying across a bed with all of his daughters around him just before the wedding. Um, A picture of the premier wiping away tears, uh, you know, seated at the actual wedding. Uh, Him walking his daughter down the aisle. There are all of these photographs. And one of the photographs is... The seating chart. And this has been public now for months because the wedding took place last fall. The NDP Mm -hmm. just happened to find it, just like other journalists happened to find it. And the reason we found it was because the premier posted a photo to his Instagram account. And on there, he credited the photographer. So we all just Googled the photographer's name and up came all these photographs, which included the guest list. And so this is you know, verifiably untrue that that you know the NDP would have sent a photographer to the premier's daughter's wedding, but it just kind of goes to show you just how nutty this whole situation is kind of turned into that these accusations are coming from, uh, you know, the progressive conservatives, the government house leader going to the NDP that the NDP says, listen, this is just a desperation tactic to take some of the heat off of them.
0: Well, and it's it's kind of frustrating, and it, it you're right. I mean, it does stretch the the limits of incredulity when you hear some of the comments. Uh, like, yes, all those people were there with all those politicians, but nobody talked business. I, I I don't know, Colin. I mean, all the years you've been covering this stuff, and I mean, even going back to to my days when I was in in politics, uh, when you get a bunch of people together like that, you, you of course you talk business. Of course, it, it, it may not be the only topic you you bring up. But it's it's there. So, I mean, to suggest that, hey, nothing to see here. I think people are starting to to believe that less and less. And it's 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 not helping the government situation. I got to ask you, though, you mentioned that March Styles is petitioning the uh, the integrity commissioner once again. She's asking for a full investigation. Has she made an official request for that? Because as we found out, as you reported last week, uh, when the premier said that I've been exonerated, all he did was ask for an opinion. He did not ask for an investigation. So all he, you know, the integrity commissioner based his opinion just on the information that Doug Ford gave him. There was there was not much in the way of an investigation. Otherwise, uh, is that what Styles is looking for here? Or does she want the whole nine yards?
3: Yes. No. Styles wants an official ethics investigation into Premier Doug Ford and his relationship with developers. Whether those uh, relations had any financial. Um, kind of motive there whether there was any financial exchange at that stag and doe and whether or not um you know that relationship played any factor or influence the government's decision to open up the green belt lands and, and and you're right you know i mean some people can have friends and they can be in politics that obviously is true but there is a big question as to whether or not you know the premier was doing any favors for his friends and whether those those favors were being done um you know after th- those friends may have um Went to the stag and doe, whether they you know put any money into the family of the family's pocket. There are a lot of questions around how this relationship and the mixture of a personal and a professional relationship kind of landed with this greenbelt deal. So that's exactly what the NDP is looking for. They filed an official request. They have yet to receive an official, you know, word from the integrity commissioner. But but on that note, You know, the premier has used the integrity commissioner as a shield, saying, I've been cleared by the integrity commissioner. If the integrity commissioner chooses to uh, launch an investigation, that completely eliminates the premier's defense. And that would put him in very unstable, shaky ground. So all eyes are on what the integrity commissioner does next.
0: And and in a related story, as you reported a couple of weeks ago, I guess now, uh, the uh, auditor general is also apparently doing some sort of an investigation. Any idea when we may get that?
3: Well, again, yeah, Auditor General investigation typically takes uh, a number of months. Her mandate, mm-hmm. Bonnie Alissick's mandate is up, I believe, in about September. So you know, we're expecting whatever report she will have done uh, could be ready sometime in the summer, maybe, maybe late spring. She's working, I think, uh, as fast as she can to kind of get that out uh, because her mandate ends sometime soon. So we don't know the exact timeline, but I, I would say sometime in the spring or summer is when we're expecting her report to be out.
0: And, of course, as with other Auditor General's reports, uh, there's there's, this is, there's no criminal charges or anything. She just lays the numbers out here. And, and, you know, we do our own interpretation. You guys will go over that with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, and and we can insinuate things like this, but she's not going to, you know, apportion guilt or anything like that if she finds anything. That's, uh, that's I guess, the next step that, to see whether or not there's actually going to be a legal investigation, in other words, by the OPP. But we're, I guess, nowhere near that stage yet, are we?
3: No, I keep asking the OPP, and they they aren't really giving me any kind of indication in terms of where they're leaning or how far they are down the road uh, before starting an investigation. So it really is anybody's guess with the OPP. I know for a fact that you know all of the stories that have come out, including some of our reporting, they are aware of, uh, but exactly what they're doing with it, that is an entirely different question. I mean, these these types of investigations that police conduct obviously would take a lot of time, especially given the politically sensitive nature of it all. So, you know, you, you'd be sure that the OPP would want to cross their T's, dot their I's, make sure they have everything that they need to have to even launch an investigation. So, so they want to be sure that, you know, it, it isn't just smoke, that there is fire there uh, for them to actually take that, you know, extraordinary step.
0: Well, interesting story, fascinating story, and ever-changing as well. So we'll be watching for your reporting on uh, Global News as always. Colin, thanks so much for this. Appreciate it.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Bill.